All right, you guys, let's find Matthew chapter 5 as we continue our studies um, in the Sermon on the Mount. We completed the Beatitudes last week. Um, I enjoyed teaching through the Beatitudes so very much. I'm super excited to continue forward in this Sermon on the Mount series. And we have a natural transition that happens here. It's interesting how often we'll read Scripture and, and how much we can gain from reading Scripture in large chunks. I want to encourage you guys to take in Scripture in large chunks because so often, especially when you're reading a sermon that Jesus spoke and taught people, you're, you're going from one thing to the next and they really do connect to each other. It's amazing, isn't it? It's almost like he planned it that way. It's almost like the Lord wanted to teach us something and then take us on to the natural next thought process or next issue that might arise for us. And so we see a very natural transition from our hearts being shaped by the teachings of Jesus and the Beatitudes to the overflowing of that within the Beatitudes, especially the second half of them, the, sec- the, the, the latter four Beatitudes that are very relational amongst ourselves, to now the next subject that Jesus addresses is how we are overflowing into the world around us, how we're affecting the world around us, and how we are pouring into them. And so the focus of this morning is going to be us shaped by the the Beatitudes, loving one another, and pouring out into the world around us, and how we're doing that, and how we're being effective. And to begin with, I'd like you to consider the following with me, because this may seem like a bit of a rabbit trail. It's not. It's coming full circle. I know you guys, you know me, I love a good rabbit trail, but, but this is going to bring back, bring us back to our main point. It's gross to limit the definition of worship to singing songs of praise. It's gross to limit the definition of our worship of God to merely singing songs. And think about how even in our phraseology in the church, we, we understand this. They'll say, well, we're going to come together for a time of worship. What do you think? What comes up in your mind? You know, like you're thinking of like those little, you know, the songs that we sing. And that's not a bad thing, but that is a part of our worship. It's not the whole. And in reality, singing songs is not only just a part. It's definitely not the main thing that we do when it comes to worshiping God. It's not the most important and certainly not the only. Dr. Harold Best said it really well in his book, Unceasing Worship. I read it years and years ago, and this has always stuck with me. Worship is the continuous outpouring of all that I am, all that I do, and all that I can ever become in light of a chosen or choosing God. After all of his studies and and his multiple doctorates, that's what he came up with. He goes, this is the best definition of worship that I can come up with. And it's fantastic because I feel like it draws so much of our attention, not to singing of songs, but life. Worship is a continuous outpouring, meaning it doesn't stop when I'm giving in to sin. Did you catch that? Worship doesn't cease when I give in to sin, it redirects. And it means that I'm worshiping something else. I'm worshiping something else that isn't God himself. I'm worshiping a person or a thing. What's up, buddy? I see you, Tucker. I see you. Were you making noise down there? Was that you I was hearing during prayer? <laughs> he just smiles at me. Sorry, this kid owns me. Um, but you guys, like you understand, like this is a continuous outpouring of our lives, worship, and it just shifts directions when I'm in sin. How many of us view that, that when we fall into sin or when we give into sin, we're actually, actually worshiping something other than God? We're giving ourselves to something other than God. It's idolatry. And the theology of idolatry is all throughout Scripture. And what's amazing is something that you see in Scripture is that we become what we worship. 
We become what we worship and that it's designed by God that when we worship him, we are made into his image. We are conformed into his image. But when we worship anything else, do you get what's happening? If I worship anything besides God, I'm being formed into the image of that thing, which makes me an idol worshiper and makes me like the idol. And in Psalm 115, the psalmist says, that means that you become someone who has ears but doesn't hear, a mouth but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. You're becoming like this inanimate object that you're worshiping. And we think about idols in the Old Testament, like, we don't have an idol problem in America. (laughs) Maybe you don't worship a little carved image. But you might worship that carved boat out on the drive. Maybe we don't worship, you know, some golden statue, but we might worship an instrument that God's gifted us to play. Or a sport that we're really good at. Or a person that God's put in our lives. Are you getting my drift? We are people in our flesh who are prone to idolatry. All of us. We all have our things. And here's what we need to focus on. Worship should be for God and unto God alone. Our worship of God is a heart position overflowing to the church and to the world around us. When we are worshiping God in the way that we ought, when we are humble and submitted and walking in obedience to him, that should not only pour out authentic worship on those around us, but authentic worship should pour out on our community and on the people in the world. If the Beatitudes describe the essential character of the disciples of Jesus, then what we read this morning about being salt and light, as Jesus continues his sermon, these things used as metaphors indicate our influence for good in the world. When we talk about being salt and light, he's directing our attention now. What kind of effect are you having on the world around you? Are you salt and are you light? The text is worship of God in the public sphere. The focus of our text is worship of God in the public sphere. How am I worshiping God through my life in the eyes of the world? The Beatitudes are meant to be poured out as active worship on this world. That's why Jesus poured it into us. And Jesus shows us through these two metaphors that we'll look at this morning what that looks like in reality. It's impossible to follow the norms of the kingdom in a purely private way. I'll say that again. It is impossible for us to follow the norms of the kingdom, the normal things that should be happening in a private way. And we'll look at why in Jesus' examples this morning. Matthew chapter 5. You ready to get to the text? It's really good. It's really tasty. I love it. It's salty. I love salty things. I love a salty church. Okay, I'm not. I'm going to stop. No more. Okay, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Jesus continues. He says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. At the very onset, when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, who's he talking to? You don't have to look very far. At the very beginning of chapter 5, when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying what we're reading. He's speaking to his disciples. He says, you are the salt. You are the salt of the earth. He's speaking to us. 
Imagine hearing that as someone sitting on the shores of the Sea of Galilee in what we would call the region of Palestine, if you will, or at that time Israel. As you're sitting there and listening to these words be taught, imagine hearing that through their ears. You are the salt of the earth, not the region. You're the salt of the earth. The effect that you have on the earth is far bigger than they would have imagined at that time. And Jesus uses two very domestic metaphors to bring across a very important spiritual concept. He talks about salt and light. You'll notice this. These are two things that no matter if you're rich or poor, every home uses. doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. You have salt, you have light. Or you have a need for salt and you have a need for light. These are essentials. These are home essentials. These are things that people would immediately click with. They would immediately understand the necessity of these. Now, you could call these ingredients ingredients for our lives. They're practical that every family is familiar with. In fact, even in the Roman philosopher terms, Pliny, who was talking in the first century, he said, there's nothing more useful than salt and sunshine. He said that, like, in the first century, in the same time frame. He's like, yeah, there's nothing more essential in light. There's nothing more useful than salt and sunshine. I agree with him. Bring on the chips and the sun. While salt is known to us as more of a seasoning for food in our culture because we live in a culture of refrigeration. I'm not complaining. I love the refrigeration. We have refrigerators. We have freezers. We think of salt as something you put on the table. Right? And you got to do it when mom's not looking because that means that she didn't salt the soup enough. And you're like, it's great. Just the way I like it. You guys, in the days of Jesus, don't think of salt as in our modern times. Think of it how it was used back then. Salt was used to prevent meat from decaying. It was a preservative and a purifier. It was a preservative in the ancient world. This is fascinating stuff. There's a clear separation between the church from the culture of the world. The church culture should not bleed into the lifestyle of the world. They should look distinct from each other, in but not of. In but not of means you can tell the difference, right? There should be a difference about the church than there is with the world. There shouldn't be a conformity, not in proximity, but in lifestyle. The world is in a state of decay, like a rotting piece of flesh. They're in a state of decay and moral degradation, and the church is to be the purifier or the preservative of that state. We're to act as a stay against the decay, something that you would rub on that meat before it goes rotten and try to preserve it as long as possible. That's the effect of the church in this world. Jesus has called his church to hinder the decay and to act as a delay on that process to purify wherever he sends us. And Tasker put it this way, the disciples of Jesus are to be a moral disinfectant in a world where moral standards are low, constantly changing or non-existent. Did you catch that? I love reading things from guys who are much older than me and lived in other generations because nothing really changes. Solomon was so right in Ecclesiastes when he said there's nothing new under the sun. People are like, we've never seen times like this. No, we've never seen technology like this. That's the difference. We have seen days like this. My mother said there would be days like this. Happy Mother's Day. You guys, we have seen wicked, evil times. I was talking to someone earlier this week about, you know, everyone looks at our days and like, oh, it's just it's so bad. It's just so bad right now. It's like, I would love to send you back to spend a week in Rome in Jesus's day. Spend a week in Rome. You'll see bad. You'll see something you haven't seen here. You're like, yeah, but we're going that direction. Yeah, of course we are. Moral decay. Church, are we the purifier 
or the preservative against it? Are we stopping what the world is trying to do in sinfulness and moral decay? Are we letting it run? And worse, are we letting it infect us? Are we letting it affect the body of Christ? Every so often, when I'm preparing a message, I'm like, oh, this is not going to go over very well. But I have to say it. Church, we're not called to be honey. You're not called to be sugar. Are you catching my drift? Sugar's sweet. Honey is soothing. What are we supposed to be? Salt. Um, I had knee surgery. I've had multiple knee surgeries. But I had knee surgery three days before I had to go to Southern California for a wedding. And uh, that meant the guy very invasively had to, you know, get inside my knee brace as I was trying to rush through security. And, and I had to show restraint because it hurt really bad. But as we're down at, I don't have a lot of sense. I don't know if you guys know this, I don't have a lot of sense. But as we're down there, everyone's going boogie boarding. And, and I, what? I, I decided I was going to go boogie boarding with the family. And my stitches were still in. And I knew it was going to hurt, so I just, you know, it's okay. So you get, you get in the ocean with, with somewhat of an open wound. Yeah, you know it's there. And you know right where it's at. Right? Why? Is it the water? It's the salt. What's the salt doing? Revealing a wound. It's revealing a problem. Church, you and I are the salt of the earth. We reveal the problem. And we're here to help purify through the power of Christ. Do you get what Jesus is saying? He called us to be salt. And then he says this, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? What are you going to do with salt that doesn't work? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Something interesting about salt, sodium chloride, if you didn't know this, it's a very stable chemical compound. Extremely stable. In fact, you could say that salt doesn't actually ever lose its saltiness. But you know what you can do to ruin salt's effect? Make it impure. You can blend it with things. Dirt, dust. Think about the ancient world. Think of the Dead Sea. They didn't have salt refineries back then. You ground it up into powder and you'd separate the best you could. But oftentimes there was dirt or dust or other minerals included in it. And if it gets impurified, if it gets mixed with other things, you throw it out. You know what the garbage dump of the ancient world was? The road. And you throw it out and it what? It becomes the surface for which people walk on instead of the thing that should be purifying the wound of the world. Are you catching this? Jesus is making such a clear point. In the Roman world, what couldn't be used was thrown and literally trampled under people's feet. When we're tainted by compromise, when we are tainted by sin, we cease to be useful for God. We cease to be useful for His kingdom. We cease to be the people that are set apart by Him. Now, does God still get His will done? Yeah, there's a big difference of Him getting His will done in spite of me rather than with my full willing submission to him. And I want the latter. I want God to get his will done through my life because I'm fully submitted and obedient to him, which means I have to be set apart. We must be set apart. We cannot become tainted 
We leave off when we get compromised by sin. We leave off being those who are called to be a message of salvation and saving to society, and instead we become supply material for the footpath of the world. We're nothing but something that's only worth being walked on. Is church being walked on by society? I'm using that in the term of being walked on by society, meaning that they're of no value because they're not purified. You guys, this is important for us. Interestingly enough, salt spread across the ground is good for one thing. Killing vegetation. You spread salt around on the ground. Ladies, don't do this. Don't do it to your plant bed. Don't go out there and throw a bunch of salt into it. You're going to fry it. What happens if you put a bunch of salt in grass? Not my precious grass, right? It fries it. Salt is only good for killing or impure salt. Something's thrown out. And salt spread across the ground is only good for killing vegetation. This is the fatal effect of an unrighteous disciple's lifestyle. Nothing grows where they go. Church, we need to be careful not to be tainted by the world. We need to be cautious to not blend in or be conformed to the patterns of the world. But as Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, that requires us to be living sacrifices according to that chapter. I need to be a living sacrifice. How much, um, how much rights does a sacrifice have? <laughs> what are the rights of a sacrifice? If you are a living sacrifice, God's saying, lay your life down. You're like, that sounds so heavy. I mean, aren't there other passages that say, I can be me? No, in fact, Jesus said, if any man would come after me, he will take up his cross and follow me. Jesus said it starts with denying yourself. Told you you weren't going to like it. It's only our flesh that doesn't like this. It's only our flesh that wants to kick against the word of God when he says, lay your life down. Our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak, isn't it? Do you know what Jesus told Peter in that moment? When he says, yeah, your spirit's willing, but your flesh, it's dragging you into the ground. He goes, you need to pray, Peter. You need to pray. Synchronize your heart with the will of God. We are the salt of the earth Jesus makes a powerful point, but he's not done. He makes another one. Here's the second metaphor. You, verse 14, are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven, so that they will give glory to God and not to you. In John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. How are we the light? How are we what he describes here as the light of the world when the, the light of Jesus shines within us because he is the true light? And when he is within our lives and when he is shining out of us, he wants to transfigure us from the inside out. We cannot do that on our own. Only Jesus can do that. And what Jesus shone on the Mount of Transfiguration was not a spotlight that was put upon him, but it was him unleashing his glory and what was inside of him outwards. Transfiguration means to shine from inside out. 
That's exactly what we're seeing here. Jesus says in John chapter 8, he says, I'm the light of the world. He says, you don't have to walk in darkness. You have the light that leads to life within you. And that's why he says in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, you are the light of the world. Notice yet again, salt of the earth, light of the world. The church should be shining everywhere they go. The second metaphor associates with this attribute which Jesus is the source of, and that's light. And the Lord's statement in John 8 is fulfillment of the ministry of the Messiah, which was foretold in Isaiah 49. That whole chapter is incredible, but verses 5 and 6 specifically says this, And now says the Lord who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God is my strength. He says, It is not did once from I will also to be my servant, raising up the tribes of Jacob and restoring the of Israel. I'll make you a light for the nations to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. It was from the very beginning. These are verses that Paul just fueled off of as he wrote to the Romans. He's like, yes, salvation is for the Gentiles too because the design for God's people in Israel was that they would not just be God's people, but they would be a city on a hill. That they would be light that shined into the nations around them and drew glory to God through that light. That is what the church is to be now. We're to shine the light of Christ and draw glory to God. The ministry of Jesus must be intrinsic to his disciples. Our calling as disciples of Jesus is to shine his light, his glory, not our own. Are we trying to shine the light of our skills or possessions, our desires or our insecurities so that the light that we do manufacture draws worship for ourselves? That's the work of Satan. Isn't that what Satan wanted? Worship for himself. Draw people's attention to himself. We have and have been a selfish society since Genesis 3. And we need to recognize it and we need to repent. We are a people that think so highly of ourselves and so much of ourselves, we can't get out of our own heads. I said it a couple weeks ago, and I think it struck a couple people in the church. I had to have some talks with them afterwards, and I, I kind of yelled out. I was like, get over yourself, church. They're like, what did you mean by that? I was like, get over your selfish ways. Stop only caring about you. Stop only thinking about you. Stop trying to build a career because it's all about you. Stop trying to be this person that achieves all of these goals when it's all about you. Your goals need to be about bringing glory to God, church. That's why we're here. That's why we were put here. When we are drawing attention to ourselves, we're taking the light of Christ and we're putting it under a basket. Or as one Bible translator said, we're putting it under a bucket. I love J.B. Phillips. Sometimes he says things really like pointedly. He's like, don't think about it for a basket. He goes, you're putting your light in a bucket. You're like, well, that's not effective at all. He's like, that's the point. That is the point. You're dousing the light of Christ by trying to draw attention to yourself. John Stott said it so well. If salt can lose its saltiness, the light in us can become darkness. If salt can lose its saltiness, the light in us can become darkness when we draw attention to self rather than God. Submission and obedience to Jesus will set us on a hill, shining bright for all to see. And this, this may not be as glorious as it sounds, 
Because Jesus is glorified in our obedience, not our comfort. Jesus is glorified in our submission and obedience, not our comfort. You show me an uncomfortable church that's willing to be uncomfortable, to be obedient, and you will see a light that shines. Look at the church in Iran. Look at the church in China. These underground churches are growing. Why? Because they are shining brightly for the glory of God in the midst of great persecution and death. You show me a church that's getting dim. It's a church that's living in comfort. I am to make you uncomfortable. And I aim for you to get me uncomfortable for the sake of the gospel. Don't get weird. Don't make it weird. We're not here to be weird. We're here to be transformed. And you're like, yeah, but that'll make us weird. That's a natural way of it happening. I'm not talking about us all wearing the same t-shirt and running around. Okay? You guys, we need to be drawing the attention to the Lord. We need to be bringing glory to him. We can't be dim. As I thought about this, and you guys have probably noticed this recently, those of you who have been um, coming to Transform since its onset, which is many of you, um, I've been just um, amazed at the example of John the Baptist in Scripture. John the Baptist is one of those characters that I, when I read about or I read his interactions with Jesus or read about things that he would say, he just draws me in. It's like, that's kind of the guy I want to be. And I don't know, I'm kind of a, you know, wild locust and honey kind of guy. Um, but John the Baptist said this in John chapter 5, verses 31 through 35. If I testify about myself, or Jesus is speaking, I'm sorry, this was said about John the Baptist. Um, Jesus is speaking, he said, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is one who testifies about me, and I know that the testimony he gives about me is true. You sent messengers to John, and he testified to the truth. I don't receive human testimony, but I say these things so that you may be saved. John was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a little while in his light. John the Baptist was a burning, shining lamp. Sounds a lot like a city on a hill. And you're like, but John the Baptist is weird. He was a bit extreme. Yeah. But what was John the Baptist all about? You can say it. Jesus. He wasn't about himself. He was preparing the way. Get ready. The Savior's coming. Eyes on the Lord, not on me. Think about this. To have Jesus say such things about my life, that I was a burning and shining light. That's what I want. I want Jesus to say, he shone brightly. You're like, yeah, but John had his head cut off. He got thrown in prison for speaking the truth. He lost followers. And he didn't even have a Facebook. I don't know where that came from. You guys... John didn't care if his ministry grew smaller. He didn't care if it cost him his freedom. He didn't care if it cost him his life. His mission was to make straight the way of the Lord, to clear the road. He wasn't here to be the hero. Are you here to be the hero? There's one hero in this story. And we share in this story. It's not your story. It's not my story. It's Jesus' story, and he is the hero. Amen? 
Jesus is the hero. It's time for us to play our part. Maybe that's death. Maybe that's laying my life down. Maybe that's me being imprisoned. I don't know what it is. You're like, Mike, you're really ready to go to prison? Yeah. Yeah, the second they walk in and say, don't say the name of Jesus, or you go to jail. Like, Jesus loves you. (laughs) Even if you arrest me. And then one of you should come up here and finish my sermon and get arrested right behind me. You guys, John the Baptist's entire life was spent preparing the way for the Savior, preaching repentance, speaking truth and love, and he didn't stop at just saying that Jesus must increase and that he himself must decrease. He lived it to the point of dying. That's the effect that we want the light in our lives to have. That's what it means to shine bright, not to draw people to us. The light that shines through us and through our good works is not intended to make people follow us. Look at what Jesus says in verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to you because you're so awesome. They should be giving glory to God. They should be giving glory to God in heaven because of what you're doing. You realize that successful ministry for disciples of Jesus does not mean packed pews. Successful ministry is obedience. The Lord holds the results. Jesus holds the results. We are called upon to be faithful. And he will do what he wants with that. And you know what's awesome? Especially studying through Romans chapter 9 with my home group right now. It's like, I can rely on the mercy of God. I can rely on the mercy and the goodness and the grace of God because he is going to do what's right and I trust him that he is perfect and holy and sovereign. Successful ministry is not when people follow us. It's when people give glory to God and follow him. That's successful ministry. Worship team, would you guys come up? And I'm going to finish with this final thought as you guys come up here. Church, if we are to be salt and light in this world by the power of the spirit within us we cannot do so are you listening to me if we want to be salt and light we cannot do so hidden away on 50 acres with a lot of hot wire can't do it that doesn't mean it's wrong to have 50 acres and hot wire fence those can be necessities that's okay But what's not okay is hiding away there from the world. We need to make sure that we are still missional. Now, there are ways to do it with your acreage. There's so many smiling faces right now. People are like, I'm not telling you not to have acreage. I'm just jealous. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Every year I get older, I'm like, man, I need more acreage. Man, I need more space. (laughs) I used to be like the ultimate extrovert. Like my friends at church would be like, where's Mike? Just look for the crowd of people, someone yelling in the midst, and some are laughing and some are crying. But like, you know, Mike was usually in the midst of the, the, ah, was the wild one, you know? I was the guy at a concert when there was like 4,000 people who invited people onto the stage to mosh with us. That's how relational I am. I didn't think about the ramifications or how many things would get broken. You guys, as I get older, there's this part of me that wants to isolate more, that wants to pull away more, that wants to be in my own space more. Do you know why? Because I'm tired. I'm worn out. 
And I use that as an excuse to justify wanting to pull away from people. And I think some of us need to pray that the Lord would give us endurance. That the Lord would give us strength to continue to engage. Maybe this isn't landing with the young people, but I, I like, I feel like, I'm, I feel like the old people are grooving with me right now. It's like, do you understand how difficult this is? I sometimes, I just don't want to be around people. You're like, you're a pastor, man. I'm just being real with you. I'm just being honest. I love you guys. And I need to love you guys more than I love my comfort. I'm not saying don't get the 50. Bring people on to your 50. I'm not saying don't have the hot wire fence to keep the animals in. Don't let your hot wire fence keep people out. You guys, seriously, this is important. And this is going to take some serious effort on our part to make sure that we care more about being a light for the namesake of Christ than we do about being comfortable. God has called us out of comfort and into something so much more. He's called us to bring glory to his name. We can't do that comfortably. In fact, it's in our weakness that his power is made perfect. Amen? Flight into the invisible is a denial of our call. We cannot become invisible. We have to be light. And a community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him. We'll close with this. Spurgeon said it so well. The moment you find the light and realize that the world is in the dark, run away with your match and lend somebody else a light. Church, I just, (laughs) there's things you can only say in church. I just want to light you guys on fire and send you into the community. But you know exactly what I mean. (laughs) It's funny. Christianese. It's a funny language, isn't it? But that's, that's the reality of it. I want to light you guys on fire for Jesus and send you into this community to be salt and to be light by the power of Jesus. Amen? We're to do this together. I'm telling you, if you're on fire out there running around, you'll see me. I'll be right there with you. I'll wingman with any of you guys anytime when it comes to ministry. We do this together. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, not mine. Thank you for your spirit. And God, thank you that you sent Jesus not only to lay his life down, not only to wash feet, not only to rise again, but in all the things that he did to set for us an example. And so I pray, Lord, that as we hear your word taught, that we would simplistically come to you and say, we don't want to model our individual lives or our church life after anyone but you. We just want to be like you. We just want you to be glorified. And we do want to be that preservative We do want to be that salt of the earth. We want to be the light of the world. And we recognize we can't do that on our own. And so, Lord, do something in us now as we worship. Lord, as we turn our eyes to you and as we sing your praises as part of worship, Lord, I pray that we would see that our worship is to have an impact in this world as well, that that's part of it. Let's keep our heads bowed, our eyes closed. Before we sing his praise, let's just synchronize our hearts with the Lord. Ask him to minister to you, to speak to you in this time. Let's keep our heads bowed, our eyes closed, and then we'll sing.